Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. This is the place to learn how to get through your worst rock bottom and start to embrace adversity. I'm your host, Petra Belzebor. I'm a therapist and a life coach, but my biggest learning is from my own rock bottom. My story includes being raised in a cult, dealing with depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, and alcoholism. But along the way, I've learned to turn my entire life around to one of success, joy, and fulfillment. So in this podcast, I'll be talking to people from all walks of life who've done the same. I'll be teasing out the skills and tools necessary, as well as using my own experience to teach you how to turn your adversity into your biggest advantage. All right, welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Today we've got uh, someone all the way from, where, where are you, Mark? I'm in San Antonio, Texas today. San Antonio, Texas, all the way from over there. It's Mark Villarreal, if I got that correctly. Um, He is a coach and consultant in the business world and has an expertise in leadership, strategic planning, diversity, and millennials. He's authored some books, uh, and he's the co-founder and COO of Speaker Stardom. Well, what, what is Speaker Stardom? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, my partner's uh, name is Cindy Ashton, and she's uh, real popular in North America, ca- Canada, and uh, and uh, United States. And she's been speaking for 21 years. So we have a passion to help speakers, but our speakers, we uh, we make sure they're quali- very well qualified that they come and they speak from a um, performance standpoint. And so they understand how to perform. So when the organizations uh, industries and companies hire them, they can rest assured that this person's going to really knock it out of the park for them. And so is that, um, do you offer training to those uh, speakers so that they get that performance angle just right? Yeah, well, we have several different aspects. So naturally, we have those that qualify that we already worked that uh, our salespeople help get them booked. But uh, those that still need to hone their skills, we have a membership program that they can join. And then we have the academy side where we offer training for them as well. So, and then uh, we also bring them affiliates of uh, people in the industry that do other things that speakers need that uh, may not be services we provide, but maybe we'll make sure we bring them the top-notch uh, people in those industries, whether it's marketing, people who build websites for speakers, uh, those type of things, everything that a speaker would need. Oh, wow, the whole industry around it. So you're obviously passionate about, about that. What else are you passionate about in life at the moment? Well, I'm, I've always been real passionate about leadership and helping businesses succeed. Uh, you know, one of one of my signature speeches is called "Planning Again with No Results," and it's where I talk about and I take people through examples where organizations are just constantly planning and they're wondering where the results are and they'll do turnover because they think it's the people, uh, and it's really the culture and a lack of leadership. That if they slowed down, looked, and worked on really executing what they had planned, uh, they would actually be a lot more successful. So that's why my first book is called Shortcuts Get You Lost. It talks about the dangers of when you take shortcuts that you're not seeing the forest through the trees and you're not getting your full execution uh, within your organization. Fascinating. Uh, very interesting. We'll add some of those links into the, the show notes later. Um, and so, as you know, I want to talk about adversity, and it's my passion to help the listeners sort of learn the tips and tricks for moving forward to a place of success despite or because of some of the, the adversity that, that we face. So thank you so much for coming on to tell us a bit of 
your story. Um, give, give us a little bit of context just about what was it like growing up for you? Um, do you think your parents or the education system kind of set you up or prepared you for the real world? Well, I think everything does have an impact. And I talk about my parents all the time. And my second book is called Leadership Lessons from Mom. So, Oh, that sounds like a good one. Right. And, and, and well, both my books were number one in, in, in England there. So, But uh, if I talk that my mom was the best leadership coach who chose to be a housewife. And I say that because she made sure she took an interest. And in, it was early in the years that I realized my mom feels that my character is really important to her. Everything she talks about was values and principles as a little kid. And then she would talk about, you know, shortcuts get you lost is one of her sayings. So it's actually uh, where I got the title for my first book. So she's been like a huge influence on your life. Right. And I tell 40 stories in the book that starting from kindergarten to her death. So it goes through five chapters. But I'm able to correlate each story on how it relates to business today. So it truly can show you the impact that she made. But I think most parents and mothers especially, you know, they make that first impact. And when you go back and think about, yeah, my mom taught me this. You know, she taught me that it's not about you. You know, that was when I was a teenager. But she would say that many times later as I was in the adulthood and she knew I was leading teams. Uh, she'd she'd teach me to... uh, make a difference each day. You know, uh, are you making a difference today? Did you make a difference in your life? Did you make a difference in someone else's life? So she was just constantly on message like that. And, you know, any CEO, your best CEOs or leaders share the vision constantly. They talk about success. They point to success. And when they do that, their people grow. So that's what my mom did growing up. And my dad definitely had an impact as well, but in a different way. What was your dad's impact? Well, my dad was a drill instructor before I was born. So uh, the impact that he had, it, it, he, had a, you know, he had his version of what a man was, you know, obviously an intimidating uh, man, but his impact was a lot of discipline. So I'm the youngest of all the kids. How, how many kids? Was, well, uh, five kids. I'm okay. the youngest. Yeah. And that's probably what made me a mama's boy a little bit, right? Because, huh. you know, my mom's baby. But still with my father, his discipline was on the weekends, we were up at 4 a.m. to do our chores. Uh, We did our chores. Now, being the youngest, and I treasure this, is that I was the last one that was always by his side uh, when he would do work. So I always held the toolbox, and he was the jack of all trades, you know, plumbing, electrical. And uh, when I remodeled a house... Uh, uh, with my with my boy, my wife was surprised at all the stuff I knew, and I'm like, it's because I was always next to my dad, and uh, you know, but it was the discipline that he taught, and I see it in my brothers especially uh, that we have. So it's the work discipline, the dedication that we have. So did that give you sort of your your work ethic and your your independence, or what did that give you that that you've taken with you as an adult? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Well, it gave the work ethic. Uh, my dad was big on courage. Uh, he had a, a saying that said, fear is between success and failure. So you decide which direction you're going to go because he wanted to teach that fear was natural. But it, you decide whether you're going to head towards success or head towards failure. 
And, you know, he was uh, an eighth grade education that was very successful in business, you know, sold his business and retired and bought some markets and then those markets became successful. And uh, I was in business with them for uh, my parents for a little bit, which was great working with them every day in the in the market business and even learning from him then uh, and uh, growing. But and it was kind of unique because I had my dad teaching the discipline, but my mom teaching the character. But as any leader would know. She knew when to push me over the hump. So she saw, I'll tell you a quick story, that my dad was still intimidating. Uh, and it comes natural to people like my father who knows they intimidate. There's a point where it just becomes natural to them. So when I would have an opinion in that business, he would just shut me down. It was uh, his way. And my mom saw that, but she, and she pulled me aside and she says, you have great opinions. And if you're not going to stand up to your dad, and, and she, her saying was that the moment you allow yourself to walk on eggshells, there'll be eggs at every turn. So these are part of the lessons in the book. And so she forced me to, to confront my father. And I was in my young 20s. I asked him to speak after work. We spoke out, out yard in the backyard and he tried to shut me down. I told him, look, I need to talk and my opinions. And, you know, he just tried to shut me down. I stood up and said, no, I need to speak. We need to talk about this or I need to move on. And he got very quiet and then he pulled me towards him and hugged me and he said this was the moment I've been waiting for oh wow yeah so and and I tell the story because I'm the youngest but my relationship with my father was never the same it was better that even in his death of all the kids he told them uh, Mark has everything in control He's, uh, he's the one I trust to control everything you know, so it, I had from that point forward really developed the trust uh, from my father. And, uh, and yeah, so, it was, something in just that learning over, I imagine, countless times where you were shut down or intimidated or all of those things happened. You're almost sort of running with, with weights on until you're strong enough to, to stand up and do that thing that then can alter the course of your, your relationship. And I imagine your life. I imagine that impacted other relationships with, within work or personal. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, one, just like any leader, my mom understood the point of where I was in development. And so she knew she had to push me forward. Uh, two, it's funny because, you know, you have different types of assessments out there, Myers-Briggs and PDPs. And, and each one, when I take it, people say, um, are you really that uh, confrontational? It meaning, and, I'm, and I'm like, well, not in a bad way, but I confront everything. You know, I don't let things sit on my plate. I don't let things bother me in my mind. I confront it in a professional way. And I teach that in leadership. Confrontations is a benefit. Uh, But I think that was part of that growing point. I love that. I teach that as well, just how to have difficult conversations in the workplace. Because I feel like so many people avoid things where they're worried or afraid of what the answer might be. And, and that fear stuff just, just grows in our head. Uh, and when we actually come from an authentic, connected, you know, empathic, but confronting place, we can just grow our relationships at work or personally so much more. Right. And when you build a relationship of trust and transparency that, uh, and then you, when you allow your people to speak, as long as they're not speaking, you know, we call it first team. They're not speaking behind your back. You bring it to me. Let's have a professional conversation. You actually build innovation and great decisions and great processes, and you build a very dynamic team. 
So exciting, that, that transparency. Um, love it. So um, because of the theme of this podcast around uh, adversity, I want to just jump right in and, and ask you, what adversity would you say you faced in your life? And have there been any, uh, I might call them rock bottoms in your life, where you've, you've sort of crashed and thought, how the hell am I going to get through this? It, it, oh, absolutely. It's funny because when you look back at it, it seems maybe uh, less devastating than it was. So of that's course. one of the things I, I teach about uh, adversity is look at your past and look what you've been able to come through because what you're facing now may not be that bad. Uh, I tell a story in one of my speeches that I give uh, to earn credibility to let people know, look, I'm real just like you. And it's actually I was 20 years old, so maybe it happened real early that I took over an organization where you had to be 21 to be general manager, but they, that was the first one promoted at 20. But it was very difficult because the average age of the people that, uh, that were employed was 35. So, right. It, it, uh, and it, it was one of those situations to where I had about three employees who were great workers, but they were what I call cancerous personalities. They uh, just like to cause trouble. They, um, and, you know, they would talk to others and, you know, spread problems. And at that time, because of the age difference, maybe, and because, you know, I was new in management, uh, I tried to win them over. Yeah, you know, they, I figured, well, they're good workers, you know, so I tried to win them over constantly. And eventually, the culture suffered in that uh, location, and I got terminated. Mm. And it was devastating. Uh, you know, one of my, this was my first opportunity to look what happened. But what transpired is, you know, obviously I kind of stayed in touch and saw that the next manager came in with much more experience. Uh, he quickly s cleared the air and uh, really worked with the team on de uh, developing their value system and, and their mission and their vision. And within a short time, he let those three people go, which, uh, you know, he measured them against those values, gave them an opportunity to change or adjust, and when they didn't, he terminated them, no matter how great employees they were. So he confronted that, the situation head on. Correct. And in that location, it was very successful. And so I tell that story, and, and my leadership coach, who was my mom, uh, she told me, well, misery loves company. Miserable people That's true. Uh, want everyone else to be miserable. That's very and true. You're, you were faced with three miserable people. Now you see what that other manager did. He realized that they needed to, he needed to either stop that misery or that he, he needed it to leave the organization and he made the smart decision. So, so you could see like the, the toxic impact or the ripple effect on a team morale, productivity, all the rest of it. Right. And, and I know cancer is a bad word, but I use the word cancer because cancer spreads and, and cancer, you've got to cut it out. You know, you know, so yeah, yeah, it gives yeah. a very good visual image of what the impact is. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, from that time frame, then uh, I really studied mission, vision, and values, and I have a third book, a workbook out on that. Uh, you know, because I help companies build their mission, vision, and values the right way, uh, whether it's very inclusive, very transparent, and, and to make sure that it's effective from the top down, bottom up. But uh, so I made sure that from each organization from that standpoint that I would implement mission, vision, and values and how I wrote them out in the organization. And from that point, I was immediately successful moving on. I, I also read a book, uh, you know, so it's not just my own books, you know, I was uh, in my early 20s, as I mentioned, called The One Minute Manager. Uh, and 
it's still out there. It's a quick read, but it's a simple book on management that, you know, it's called One Minute Manager. You compliment people, you discipline them in one minute. But uh, I really started modeling uh, that, and I think that's always important is for people to find things that are successful and model them. And uh, that, that really helped me in my career, and I became the One Minute Manager. So, And how, I guess how did this learning maybe impact your personal life? Well, well, I think that uh, the things that you learn work on both sides. You know, I, I talk about the lessons of did you uh, did you do something that mattered today? And my, you know, I used to think my mom said that was always for other people or at work that I do something that mattered. But one time she pulled me aside and she says, "You're running yourself ragged, and you can't be effective if you're not doing something that matters for yourself." And so uh, she would teach me that the lessons weren't only for for business but for personal and uh and she even told one time because you know i think it, young adulthood i had two a couple boys i would drop off to my mom and she loved their grandkids but uh, she saw that i was starting the habit of dropping them off too much <laughs> and then going out going out and having my fun and she said you need to take these boys and go do something that matters and so it really helped me become you know, a better man. And, you know, obviously I've had my ups and downs uh, and, you know, none of us are perfect. But when you start utilizing the things that you learn in business for both sides, you, you develop better. Uh, okay. managers, Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say managers with good people skills that use those people skills at home, they therefore have, you know, a better life at home as well. Absolutely. It's sort of if, if your personal life is balanced, you can be of greater impact at work and it, it sort of goes both ways. Um, so all you're right. kind of uh, jumping ahead and, and letting me know, you know, how all this learning impacted you and, and your success. And I'm really curious about the middle bit. So you've had some of these challenges, uh, you, you know, you lost a, a job. Um, and I'm, I'm curious about how you learn these things. Because in hindsight, you've got this great, you know, vision and view of your mom's wisdom and how it impacted you. But I imagine that along the way, it felt a bit bumpier than that. And I'm curious about, you know, how you began to adopt these principles in your life um, to, to become the person that you are now. Well, I, I tell different stories. So I'll tell a story about where I took a, a business over. And, and in fact, I was with an organization to where the, it was three owners, they had uh, several different locations, you know, a franchise organization. And when the owners feuded, it, they kind of separated people. So uh, I was released from the one I was running, although it was running at high volume and very successful. So, you know, at that time, it's like, that's devastating. You know, what do I do? So I ended up uh, going to one of the locations of the owner that had brought me in, uh, which was, uh, you know, in hindsight, a blessing. But the look, and that was uh, San Antonio, Texas. So, uh, you know, that's ironically that that's where I'm talking from today. Yeah. But the it was the franchise organization, uh, and that that location was four hundred thousand dollars in debt. So it's like, well, why am I taking this? Why don't we just close the doors and you know creditors calling it every day. But uh, there was something about it. I trusted the owner. Uh, I took over the location, and I. But the story goes is that I had a, a, a few single mothers that worked for me. And the thing I enjoyed about the single mothers is that they had the I cannot feel attitude. 
And it was uh, what you know, they were constantly asking me, what can I take home? Can I print out something? Can I go home and study? Uh, what, what else do you need? And it, then uh, as I would serve them, so, so here's the first thing it taught me. It taught me, I always believed in servant leadership. One Minute Manager talks about that. But this is where probably the first time I put it, put it in full action. So this is over, over 20 years ago. And so I started just focusing on their success and didn't worry about mine. And um, so, it, you know, I was the type of boss that came in and I didn't say, here's what I need from you. I'm, my first question was, what do you need from me? And Ooh, how can a, I serve you? That's a powerful well, question, both at work or personally, to think about it in that yeah. way. Amazing. All right. What roadblock can I remove? What, what can I provide? What resources? And they would, and then they started referring their friends who happened to be single mothers. So before I knew it, I had nine single mothers working in that organization. Uh, within a year, we paid off that debt. Within two years, we won the what's called the President's Cup for that franchise organization. So it was a worldwide organization, and we were the most outstanding location of uh, over 260 worldwide. So, and I've got I've got to pause you there and just like echo what you said. The shout out to single mothers uh, and the the can't fail attitude, and how sometimes people you know make a single mother sort of redundant or aren't able to do sort of flexible working to to support them. But it sounds like you had a real workforce of of powerful women that just absolutely were dedicated, and that the way you you managed it was to draw out the best in them. Yeah, it, it was amazing. I mean, their success brought my success. It wasn't, you know, so, uh, uh, you know, my mom used to always talk about values and the chief humility was very important to her. She felt the best leaders lead with humility. <clears throat> so that allowed me to lead with humility. So I talk about putting action into play, it allowed me to uh, trust and servant leadership because it's really a trust. Everyone wants to look good, so they worry about their success. But if things are built right and you focus on other success, yours will come so natural. And, and that's what transpired there. And then, you know, the single mothers became successful. And uh, and many of them are great friends today. A couple of them are still in the business. But uh, it, it also allowed me, because a lot of things I've done since that standpoint, you talk about leadership, and you know, I would help uh, build manuals and, and work on things that build leadership. But I would mentor women all throughout the years. Even today, I'm a, a member of the advisory board of Our Empowering Women of San Antonio, because it's important, too, that as I started working with women more, they have such a balanced skill set that uh, that when you would bring them into your business and develop them into leaders, it really made that business stronger, that you had great decision-making processes, you know, uh, it created that good you know, form of diversity. Diversity isn't where you just have, hey, I got men and women, or hey, I got people of diverse cultures and nationalities. When, when I uh, consult with companies on diversity, uh, I teach them that how to build diversity. It isn't just by who you hire or what you have. It's building a program within your organization to where it's in your job descriptions. It's in your development plans. People transparently can see what I call career lattices. In other words, you need to visibly show how people can grow in your organization and what skill sets are required so everyone believes they have an equal opportunity and you build that within that organization. And organizations of diverse cultures that are built correctly, and, and that I can say in that organization we built great diversity, makes it a great place to work that 
people are knocking at their door to come work for you. And it, uh, as, as other people, you know, we had an attitude of give us 110% and we'll do everything to advance your career with our organization or even outside our organization. And you want to, your dream is to own your own business. Great. Give me 110% and I'll help you do that. So as people would lead to bigger and better things, we just had a pipeline of more people that wanted to come on. And that really helped uh, build that uh, great innovation. The, the more blood that you have that comes in, you got new ideas, new innovation. And, uh, and being open to it. Yeah, after, after that, you can't stop it. So the, the, the momentum just keeps going. Yeah, but what that allowed to is there are some things in business that people consider taboo. Uh, such as I would take a personal interest in my people and I teach that. I, I'd want to know what are your personal goals. We can show you how your professional goals can help you. But some people are like, oh, that's taboo. And I'm like, no, I want to see pictures of what their personal goals up in their workplace. If it's built buying a house or going to Hawaii, I'd love to know that and ha having those personal things. But the more you develop that, it helps you in the business when you hit rock bottom or go through hard times. So I do tell the story of when we had all those single mothers, that tragedy struck. And one of the mothers had a 14-year-old boy that was rollerblading and was hit by a truck. Uh, and uh, they thought he had just broke his leg, but he passed away. And it was a difficult thing to manage to because then when you have single mothers, they, you know, they realized, well, not that they didn't ever uh, not realize, but it focused them more on what's important. Oh, my kids at home, and I'm working so hard. And all you can be is really because we built up before them that they trusted that I was genuine uh, and that I, I had a concern that even though it was difficult to manage to, we worked through it, you know, and I had a couple actually, ironically, two of them left me at that time because they wanted to spend more time at home. Ironically, those two are the two that are back in the business and still there today. Oh, interesting. Years. Interesting. Yeah. And, but, and what I'm hearing you say is it's the, the foundation that's so important so that when crisis hits, you've got that trust, you've got that loyalty and, and people really recognize that you're there to support their personal goals as well as their, their work goals. Yes. It's, I call it, you know, I hate to say it this way, but I had people that would take a bullet for me and vice versa. They knew that I would take one for them as well. So never want that experience again, you know, of because course. that was devastating. We had just had our company picnic the weekend before. So I actually played, uh, we had two on two basketball and, uh, that young man was on my team. Oh. Yeah. So, um, it, it affected us all. It, it, it was devastating. Yeah, loss can uh, kind of strike at any any moment. Um, have you ever had moments of, of self-doubt? I, I think we all do. You know, so to say, as I think I've, I've never met someone that through conversation told me, no, I never have self-doubt. But that's why uh, I talk about systems and processes all the time. So first, the first part is to build a strong foundation that you can trust and rely upon. So then when you have that self-doubt, but uh, the, the, uh, you know, I've, when, you know, here in the States, when 9-11 happened, it devastated, you know, businesses. And that, you know, that was always something to go through. 
But when you built a strong foundation and then you have other things, what, what I call systems and processes. So, for example, I, I would teach a uh, how, how to make good decisions uh, or have a method on what you take decision making through. Because, uh, once again, I teach that good decisions and bad decisions take the same amount of time. It's just whether you have the process to take it through that at least when you take it through, you say it went through my process and you can't lie to yourself. You need others to check you as well. So are you but, saying that the decision uh, is, is immediate or takes the same amount of time, but it's kind of the process is the what you do next with it? Is that what you mean? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the process is how you come to that decision. And uh, once you have a process of decision-making, it becomes automatic in your mind. You can put it on paper. You know, if there are decisions at work, we work it on the chalkboard. Uh, and uh, our decision-making process, you know, took us through of whether it was a problem or something we had to decide. First of all, uh, we had to define that very well and make sure that, okay, which direction we're going to take this because we always built our mission, vision, and values, and so whatever we decide has to match that and has to end there. It has to start with your mission, and vision, and values, and has to end at your mission, vision, and values. But then uh, after we define the problem, then it's like, um, what do we know? And then, but I would also teach, what do you think you know? In other words, a lot of people don't make assumptions, and I'm like, it's okay to make assumptions if they're educated. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And I like so, what you said about having, you know, uh, somebody else to check you in a way. So even if you're at the top of your game, the top CEO or leader within your company, being open to other people being right or having a different viewpoint that can add value rather than that more kind of arrogant, I must know everything, especially as a man in leadership. Um, and just having that check and balance, but, but not even just having it, but being open to it. That sounds important. Yeah, it's a great culture. I mean, there's there's a book out there called Five Dysfunctions of a Team, and that's where I get the word first team because it teaches what are the functions of teams, but it really, if you work it backwards, it's how to build the team to where you build that environment, you have those difficult conversations, you're not talking to be hiring someone's back. In other words, if someone brings something to me about another manager, and my first question is, well, have you brought this to them? You know, have you had this discussion with them? Have you because confronted you to, it? Yeah, you need to go have that first team conversation. So it, it really works great. And that works great. Uh, you know, it's funny because uh, um, my 23-year-old just graduated. So and that's our youngest. So that's, uh, we, just, we just sold our house that was 4,000 square feet because it became too big. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? That's a good problem yeah. to have, right? Yeah. <laughs> and he was... The one that, as a teenager, probably had some difficulty, got in trouble. But I would always preach to him about character. You know, character. Uh, they all know character is real important to me. And he just graduated, but now he just got accepted to University of Texas. You know, he's uh, pursuing neurology. He has a 4.0 average, and uh, sometimes you know he'll question, well, you know, he gets frustrated from some of his young decisions because they're affecting him today. But how far he's come, and my wife and I were just talking about it yesterday. She's like, I can see that those conversations you had then, because he brings them up, that although we felt they were falling on deaf ears or frustrating because they weren't immediate reaction, he's learned from them. And, and he actually even teaches his friends. And, he, and even his friends from high school are amazed where he's at. 
you know, so the, the biggest thing about uh, adversity and teaching others is stay on message. If you truly believe your message, you know, and if they're built on the right things, because sometimes all we can do is plant seeds and not know when the water comes. Uh, and, uh, but when it does come, you'd be surprised the impact it can have. And, you know, uh, you know, we couldn't be happier. And, you know, we always continue to pray for his success, but, uh, through that, you know, you can see where he's really grown and matured, and now character is very important to him. And I, I love that. And as a parent myself, um, who who believes in certain messages around, you know, conscious choice and and building character, um, I completely echo what you're saying. And I'm I'm wondering how you feel about is it adversity that actually helps build that character alongside, as you say, that foundation? So a combination of lessons around character plus adversity can lead a, a young person into a successful path? Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, a, a, adversity is, you, you, you know, you can teach and if you have the perfect, perfect kid, that's great. Right. But, <laughs> but uh, when they go through that adversity, because they have to suffer a little bit too, you know, suffering uh, done the right way. Uh, you know, in other words, it's, it's like, let, let me still focus on what's right. Yeah, and sometimes it takes others to help bring you through because it, it focuses hard when when you're seeing someone. So you know, you know, from parenting, that's what parents do because we've been through it as well, and we know what's right, and we know what we want our children to learn. So a lot of the things that he went through, that adversity, uh, really has taught him. And like I said, there's still some things that he suffers from now. You know, something he did when he was a teenager. Uh, he questions why his car insurance is so high. And I'm like, well, you remember this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, that's what you're paying for. So even though you learn, sometimes uh, you still have to go through the lesson, you know. You do. Uh, and, and as a parent, you know, we, we love our kids and, and we've been through pain. And it, I've seen a lot of parents want to keep their children safe or in some kind of bubble where they don't experience pain or if they're experiencing it trying to fix it for them very quickly. And I've seen yeah. that that can have a, a sort of a negative or uh, knock-on effect on that young person building their own resilience and, and character and ability to deal with sort of the, the real world, you know, when the shit gets real and um, uh, they're in the world of work and competition and, and all of that. I feel like we do a disservice when we try and protect them because it's based on our own pain, you know, of, of witnessing them suffering. Yeah, well, there's, you know, I, I tell a story in my in one of my books where one of my boys had his finger chopped off. It's sewn back on. He was real young. Oh God! But but after it, you know, after taking to the hospital, after them sewing it on, uh, how I broke down, and it's that because it's when you see your kid in pain like that, uh, you, it's weird. You put on the front at first, or what's natural? It was natural that I was, you know, very logical, very. Uh, common sense of taking them to the hospital, let me hold them, yeah. let's do this. But then when I was all said and done and that he was resting in bed, it just, I lost it. It hit you. Yeah, the adrenaline wears off, yeah, right? I, and you're like... I tell that yeah. story and I cried because I was thinking of the pain he went through. And you, you don't want that to happen, but in, in it, but it does occur. Sometimes, though, you need to watch them go through it. Now, my oldest boy, Mark Jr., you know, love him to death. 
but he tells he tells his friends a story that when he was 16 that I called the police on him uh, because of something he did and yeah. and uh, they're like what and he's like no and he goes and you know what I love my dad for that now now um, I bet he didn't at the time though <laughs> Oh, no, no. But then, you know, that's when he was 16. But then when he was 17, I put him, he was struggling in school, and I put him into classes of the business I worked for. And by the time he was 19, he was a full Microsoft certified system engineer at 19 years old. And um, and that, and he's in that business today. He has like 35 IT certifications, you know, one of the best in the business. And I'll get a text from him sometimes still thanking me for that. You know, thank you, you know, uh, for for recognizing sometimes even where my gifts were and it's because you paid close attention and I talk about that with my mom that you know she made me confront my dad because she knew that was at the time I needed to grow so uh, as parents when we correct them and then when we see them go through but when we you know, it's all that part about staying close watching them grow and learning and, uh, and uh, well. what I'm hearing is allowing them to deal with the consequences of their own behavior and trusting exactly. that process of, of character building while being that, that support and guidance on the side for when they're ready to, to hear it or take it on. Exactly. Yeah. It, well, I mean, we, I talk about it because one of the lessons in leadership lessons for mom is rewards or consequences. My mom would say, yeah, you're going to live by rewards or consequences. I'd love for it to be rewards your whole life. Of course. Uh, but but there's going to be consequences, and I'm going to allow them uh, because you need to learn from them, you know. And and that started at an early age. I think my first story in there is right versus wrong, where I came home from kindergarten with another kid's toy, and it was. But he left it, Mom. Find your keepers, right? And huh? she she took me back, you know, to the class, and she made me return it. And I mean, she, she showed me from early on that I'm not going to allow that. So. I think of, yeah. of all the people I've interviewed on this podcast so far, um, I think you were the most prepared for the real world uh, based on, you know, the lessons that your mom and, and, and your dad in his own way gave you. You, you know, um, uh, you know, that's humbling for you to say that. I, I mean, I, I think about, you know, those things. But, but as I said, said, wow, your mom was uh, – yeah, very sharp in, in what she recognized and, and thought. But when I talk to other people, they recognize that in their parents as well. Sometimes you know, being the youngest, you know, it, it's funny. I used to tell my wife all these sayings. My mom had a thousand and one sayings, you know, and, uh, and, and my wife never knew my mom. You know, uh, she passed away before uh, my wife and I married. But she said, oh, I wish I would have known her and this. But it was when I would blog that I would say my mom was the best leadership because she chose to be a housewife, people kept telling me, you need to write that book. And it took me only three months to write because it was in my heart and in my head. You know, it was, let me think about through when I was young, when I was preteens, when I was teens, when I was a young adult, you know, I talk about heartbreak in there. And uh, even uh, the story of her death, it's got, is God's timing is perfect, you know, because my mom used to always say that. And she was buried on her birthday. Uh, wow. So, you know, which I was at such peace when she passed. Uh, and, uh, yeah, but those lessons there as well on how my dad wanted to be with her. But, uh, I say God wasn't ready for him. My dad passed two years later, but the, 
the man who I knew who was the toughest man in the world, and he was up until the day he passed. He died of pancreatic cancer. But uh, he transformed into such a loving man that he would serve others in the church that uh, sought the Lord that um, when he died, the priest said, we will not have enough room in this church. And strangers got up and spoke about uh, how by watching my dad change their lives. What what uh, do you think propelled him to change at such a late sort of stage? Well, several things. Before my mom died, she she became very frail. She was, unfortunately, uh, she smoked three packs of cigarettes a day growing up. That's why I've never smoked. So you talk about the impact of sometimes what you watch and observe. And uh, so at, at that time, my dad had the weight on her hand and foot, and he did. So before her death, it, it started to transform him. Uh, she was a, a very much a, a person of faith, and uh, and he always kind of left that to her, although he wanted us to be. But uh, the fact that he wanted to be with her, I mean, he moved to the small town where she was buried. She's buried here in a small town called Granger, Texas, where she was born, and uh, and took care of the gravesite and. That desire, I guess, drove him to what he knew she would want for him. And that's where I talk about where God's timing is perfect because I, I tell that God wasn't ready for my dad. He needed to change him first. And, he needed to learn and experience life in a different way. Well, and it was just so amazing, though, how many people said, your dad, just watching your dad. And, and, and I tell a, a joke in the book, too, as well, where... Uh, I had bought my dad a riding mower. You know, he was in his 70s, so he enjoyed the riding mower. It was his little toy. But people would come up after the funeral and said, your dad would just come by and mow my yard out of the blue. (laughs) And uh, I would tell him, no, he didn't know how to turn it off. So he uh, (laughs) they would laugh about that. Like, he had to ride it it right out of gas. (laughs) (laughs) But, But it just shows that was him, though. He wanted to go help others. And that, so it was, it was great to see. And then, you know, when he passed, it was heartbreaking. Of course. Uh, but but uh, it, it was peaceful, though, as well. You got to learn from the journey. Um, so what advice would you give to your 20, 21-year-old self who was just sort of at the, the early stages of business, getting a few knockbacks? Uh, what advice would you give him about, you know, how to get through or how to move forward in life? Well, look, uh, I get asked that all the time, and there's, once again, two more lessons that my mom uh, used to preach to me. One is she used to tell me I needed to learn to be still. And Well, that's uh, the hardest lesson of all in my life. <laughs> exactly, because she says you're racing to the next thing. Yeah, and unless missing, missing the journey, right? Yeah, absolutely. She said you need to learn to be still because you will learn more when, you, when you're still in the moment, when you look around, uh, when... Um, and you'll be able to enjoy what you're seeing. Uh, the other thing she used to always tell me, though, was to lead, follow, or get out of the way. So, like, you need to lead, follow, or get out of the way. You need to lead when you're leading others and, and take them to the next heights. You need to follow, meaning I want you to always have mentors in your life that can teach you. Yeah. And you need, you need to be humble enough to always want to learn. And you need to get out of the way when you're the problem. And and having some awareness of when you are the problem, I guess that's the absolutely, tricky bit, yeah. and then letting go somehow. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that was great feedback, and sometimes that awareness is someone else coming to tell you, hey, you know, uh, I have this problem, and it happens to be you, 
yeah. and, and being, being open to hearing that. Absolutely. And sometimes we'll, we'll react first and, and be hurt and be like, they don't understand or resentful. And then kind of being able to quicker and quicker, the more we do it, learn like, oh, hey, well, what if there was some truth in this, what nugget of truth could I glean? Maybe I should uh, step out of the way for this one. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's exactly how it is. And, and you try to teach that to others. And like I said, even my mom, uh, many of those lessons was just planting the seed. Um, I learned a little bit when she taught me each lesson, but sometimes those seeds later on got watered. And just as a parent, she may not have realized the impact every day as a housewife looking after five kids, you know, and, and just sort of saying these things. She, she had to trust that over time it was a seed that was being planted. And I feel like that's encouraging to parents who may be struggling now with all those responsibilities and challenges. It's a seed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the biggest advice I can give to any parent is to stick to the foundations of your, of your values. Uh, teach the lessons and then trust that even though you may not think they're being heard and it may take your you know, your child um, to to go through some adversity, <coughs> those lessons will be remembered and uh, um, and not only be not be remembered but you can see they'll be taught to others because of that adversity. I can so, absolutely see, yeah, that legacy that you, your mom's passed on. Somebody must have passed some of that on to her, and then you've passed it on to your kids, and presumably they, you know, they would pass their own visions and values down to theirs. Yeah, you, you know, she would always speak. It's funny because her parents died when she was young. Uh, her mom died when she was nine, and uh, her dad died uh, when she was 11. She had six older brothers and one younger sister, but uh, she, she would always speak a lot about her dad, you know, so her father who came from Mexico, you know, uh, owned the farm, owned the business, you know, became very successful, but he would always teach all, you know, all the laborers on that. You learn to speak English, you're being watched, uh, educate yourself, you know, so uh, I think a lot of her upbringing, because even my one aunt, her, her younger sister, you know, that's still alive, she's like, uh, I read a lot, I hear a lot of my dad in your book, so. Um, oh, Interesting. Yeah, so it, it's kind of nice. I wish yeah, I wrote it after my father passed away. He, you know, but I, uh, I'm sure he's enjoying it. You know, looking down. But it would have been nice to. Uh, I think he would have been pleased when I wrote it. Absolutely. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for for your time. You, I mean, I've I've not had a podcast packed with so much insight yet. Uh, you you obviously have so much experience that's been sort of handed down to you and that you've been giving to to companies and and your own kids and your personal life. Uh, where where can people find you online? Well, there's my website uh, www.markvillareal.com. Uh, Villareal is with one R, V as in Victor, I L L A R E A L. Uh, and from there, you have my contact information. If you have you know, any questions or um, you know anything that I can assist people with as well, and links to your books. There's links to my book there. You can find them on Amazon. Where uh, uh, I have three books out, but two of them were international bestsellers, and in England they hit number one. So uh, working on my fourth book now. So ooh, what's the fourth book? Can you say? It's actually about how to manage millennials. So when I go speak, I get asked a question all the time. And when I tell them what it takes and how to uh, build their success, and I think millennials are the most courageous workforce I've ever seen, um, I think it's a story that that's, uh, is ripe to be written. 
Oh, exciting. Uh, well, I'll be looking out for that book. Absolutely. I'll, I'll add other details of your website into the show notes. But for, for now, Mark, I really appreciate you spending the time all the way from San Antonio talking to us. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening. If something helped you today, please do share this episode with a friend and let them know that they are not alone. I know that for me, isolation kept me stuck much longer than I needed to be. So let's practice courage and talk to someone about what's going on, as that's the first step to making life amazing. Check out my website, petravelsboer.com, for your free Kickstarter plan, which will teach you to turn your biggest weaknesses into your greatest strengths. Join the community of people who are changing the way they view life's challenges and living life to the full. Until next time, goodbye.